welcome to the Cambridge Assessment Podcast. Teacher training is one of the many areas of education to be disrupted by the COVID-19 pandemic. In this episode, Anna Miner and Lynn Dale from Cambridge Assessment Admissions Testing speak to Anna Richards from the Suffolk and Norfolk Skit about how their teacher training programmes have been forced to adapt during the pandemic and the tools they've been using to help them do this. Hi everyone, thank you for joining the Cambridge Assessment Podcast today. My name is Anna Minot, Marketing Manager for Cambridge Assessment Admissions Testing, and I'm joined by special guest Anna Richards, Executive Leader at the Suffolk and Norfolk Skit, which is the school-centred initial teacher training, and Lynn Dale, Assessment Psychologist and Senior Assessment Manager for Admissions Testing. So just to give some background, Admissions Testing have been working with the Suffolk and Norfolk Skit and the Open University as part of a five-year research programme carried out by the Relationships Foundation, which is due to end next year. And the aim of the study is to explore the impact of social and professional relationships on early career teachers' success. And I think Lynn might cover a little bit of this later. But today, we want to talk about how the global COVID-19 pandemic has affected teacher training programmes, the challenges that they're facing, and how they're coping without human contact and that chance to get in the classroom. So teacher training programmes already tackle issues such as trainee and teacher retention and the ability to provide mentoring and pastoral care to those who need it most. Has COVID-19 made these issues worse and has anything been put in place to overcome this? And finally, we'll discuss how these challenges might have a future impact on new teachers. So Anna, thank you for joining us today. Let's start by talking about the challenges your teacher training programme has faced during the pandemic. Can you share your experience so far? Yeah, well, thank you very much for inviting me here today and uh, giving me the opportunity to talk about this issue, which we've all been living and breathing uh, since the start of the pandemic. Uh, Just to give a bit of context about Suffolk and Norfolk Skit, we're the largest school-centred initial teacher training provider in the country. We train about 220 trainees a year across primary and secondary phases. And this year we celebrated our 20th birthday. And as our name suggests, we we work very closely with schools. Our trainees spend at least two thirds of their time in school. So obviously when the pandemic hit and the schools were pretty much closed, it gave us a huge headache because it's, it's quite a challenge to train teachers when you can't have them in school. Back in April, the government issued some guidance to say that all teacher training providers could continue to train their trainees if they had an online programme and that trainees who were were expected to pass at the end of the course could still pass. But obviously, they will have missed quite a lot of school experience. So a major challenge was creating very quickly that online bank of resources and activities to support our trainees. Um, The other issue we had is that at the point of lockdown, we were only about halfway through recruiting our trainees for next year. So we had to adapt very, very quickly to go online with that process as well. So it's there's been a lot to think about. As the pandemic's been going on a while now, there must have been one cohort of trainees that you did manage to meet at the beginning. And then another group who you've not had any contact with. So what's the situation for both of those groups? So the the groups that were on programme at lockdown, um, as I said, they've had this online training. um, But one of the key things we've needed to do is support their well-being. Because obviously they've been everyone's been quite anxious and we've we've needed them to do a certain amount of work, but had to be very sensitive about the fact that some 
trainees were poorly themselves. Some people had caring responsibilities. Some of the trainees were trying to homeschool children. So there's been an immense amount of work to go into making sure that what they've got is rigorous enough. So they're ready to be NQTs in September, but also it was a reasonable thing to be asking them to do. Um, and this this was OK with the trainees that we knew very well because we had an idea about their contexts and how resilient they were. Um, and they knew us, so they were able to be very open and say, no, look, I can't do this. Something's happened in the family. You've got to adapt this for me. The other thing that's made it very workable is that those trainees know each other quite well through having been in lots of centre-based training together. So they were able to collaborate very comfortably, very quickly within the online world. We've used a variety of, of sources, but they have been able to do that because they already had those pre-existing relationships. And we have found that this term for them has been very effective and they've been very positive about what they've had. There's more of a challenge with, with the new cohorts of trainees that are starting in September. Some of them who were recruited early in the cycle we'd met and they'd been in front of children. Um, we have some tasks where we, we assess how they build relationships with children. But anyone recruited after the end of March, we've had to adapt to being in an online world. So we've not seen them face to face. All the trainees have now had their inductions. And those initial days are usually very important to get to know the trainees and for them to get to know each other. And those days, the induction days, give you a real sense of, you know, how how those trainees are likely to behave and interact and that kind of soft information that we gather at that point uh, is often really useful in for colleagues making decisions about which personal tutors might be a good match with the trainees which placement schools could be a good match because we know um, we always believed it but we know definitely from the research we've done that the relationships between adults is what really helps trainee teachers survive and thrive throughout the course. Um, so we haven't had those induction sessions face to face. So that has been a bit of a limiting factor, although we did try everything we could in the virtual world of using breakout rooms and, and giving the trainees lots and lots of opportunities to talk in small groups. But obviously nothing is going to replace that face to face conversation with a cup of coffee. Um, so we'll just be watching very, very carefully next year to, to support them and you know, be very mindful about intentionally building their relationships as we go forward. And it's quite a big difference between the two groups, the ones we, we already knew and the ones that we haven't really met yet. And how have you been able to overcome some of those challenges and are you using any tools to help you with that? One of the key things we've done this year is use the Cambridge Personal Styles questionnaire. Um, we have used it before, and what that told us actually then matched very closely with what we found out about the trainees as they went through the programme. So we know it's going to give us a very reliable picture. And so that information um, that, that we'll have will help us with those decisions about personal tutors and schools um, as face-to-face -face interaction would have helped us and hopefully it means that we'll be able to have conversations with trainees based on our prior knowledge and what the CPSQ outcomes are telling us and point out to the trainees the things that they might find difficult and where they might struggle and get them to think about some strategies you know to support themselves um, but let them know that that we're there and we're expecting these things to be issues for them based on that information. So you mentioned CPSQ there 
Lynn, are you able to tell us a little bit more about CPSQ and how it can be used with trainee teachers? Be delighted to um, fill in here. Um, the Cambridge Personal Styles Questionnaire, or we like to call it CPSQ for short, was developed over four years long hard years of trialling uh, and test construction by Cambridge assessment and Cambridge emissions testing. Basically, it, it is a questionnaire. It's a personality questionnaire. So it asks questions about how people tend to think, feel and behave. It's designed to discover how individuals approach tasks, relate to others and cope with demands. Basically, it can identify trainees' behavioural competencies. It's a word I like to use, behavioural competencies, or two words there, um, that can impact on trainee performance and well-being. Trainees completed it, if I'm right, in around 20 to 40 minutes online. It's not a time questionnaire. We want people to be able to relax when they do it and think about how, what they, how they really behave, what their behavioural preferences are. We use a rate rank method of responding and we find this creates a much more accurate report of the person. Um, I mentioned it, it is online, on demand, at home. So it is very good for remote working because people can sort of take this anywhere. We've got a brand new, nice new platform, which makes it so much easier for people to now access the questionnaire, do it. And results, as soon as you complete the questionnaire, um, tutors and the trainee have results that they can use. It's a form of a narrative what we call a narrative feedback report and it provides feedback on seven competency areas and um, I need to mention here that part of our trialing a CPSQ was okay to develop it for higher education needs. Um, we've actually been trialing it in schools, but when it comes to vocational work, we developed this competency report for healthcare and you'll hear it in some of these competency titles. So we have caring and compassion. So you can hear where that was really meant for healthcare. Um, Person-centered communication, working well with others, self-management, professional practice, engagement with learning and coping with demands. Um, I was presenting at a conference about these competency areas and the Relationships Foundation listened to the presentation and thought, ah, there could be something here for teachers. Anna? at the skit um, also agreed and several of her colleagues did is that these areas could have mileage for teaching um, and overall we think we've probably got a feedback report which is very good for people oriented careers rather than in particular healthcare. We're probably at some point soon going to be working with a group of social workers because they can see how those areas are relevant to them. But what we found, but do, do these areas of feedback competency areas mean anything? Well, you mentioned at the beginning about research that we have been involved with, with Anna at the skit. And the results we've got so far is we found that what's coming out is as the number one predictor, certainly with CPSQ, is coping with demands. So that score, the lower the score on coping with demands, the more likely 
it is, a trainee will withdraw from the course. So it can identify who's likely to be at risk of, of struggling, um, potential withdrawal. Not everyone, it has to be said, not everyone who gets a low score on coping necessarily goes on to drop out because there may be other factors there. Uh, factors such as tutor support, social support, mentor support in schools can, if you like, be a protective factor against dropouts. Um, so, um, some people who, who would score lower in this area may have developed coping strategies and we hope they would. Here's, you know, a use that Anna has, has mentioned um, basically is you know, matching them to the right kind of supportive tutor who can maybe give them more time and can work with them to develop coping strategies, to discuss with them what their stress triggers might be. Um, it can also be that we find people lower on coping with demands. They're often actually very high on a competency. I mentioned self-management, which is all about wanting to achieve, wanting to achieve, uh, working very hard, being very organised, really pushing yourself. So if you've got someone who really wants to do well, be a great teacher, but their resilience is a little bit low, they have a bad day in school. And suddenly you have a trainee that may feel they just can't do this, that they're not going to be a perfect teacher. So maybe why not drop out now? <laughs> and they need a good tutor there to be aware this could happen, that this kind of belief that they need to be perfect and achieve high standards in what they do, that needs to be actually um, challenged and um, to remind the trainee that, they are a trainee. They're going to make mistakes. It's not always going to be perfect. And that the skit doesn't demand them to be perfect. They're just in training. So that would be one way to, to catch someone who's beginning to doubt this has been a good career choice for them. Self-management's an interesting one. In research, we're finding, again, this is statistically significant, that the higher your score on self-management, the more likely it is that you will be um, a strong trainee or an outstanding or an excellent trainee. It seems to support performance. It doesn't protect you against withdrawal because actually being striving and wanting to achieve the very best can, with the wrong combination of coping with demands, lead to withdrawal. Um, some of the other areas that are looking very interesting um, are the people, so the altruistic and the people side. So I've mentioned things like communication and working well with others. They look like they're turning into protective factors. It may suggest if you're scoring higher on those areas, you've got the, a fit with the ethos of teaching. And it this is just a hypothesis. If you've got a better personal fit with the career, then it may make it more likely that you'll stick with it. Thanks, Lynn. Anna, Anna, I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to add to that. I just think since we've used we've used CPSQ over the last three or four years, and um, what it's done is given the tutors and the staff a shared understanding and a shared language um, to be able to talk to trainees and you know in a non-judgmental way and I think you know that that's been very very useful so as well as it highlighting for trainees what might be going on yeah. and what their issues may be it's been very helpful from a staff development point of view um, and has made us better able to intervene early and in 
in a non-threatening way because we're all talking about you know one specific output from from this questionnaire it doesn't feel as if someone's making personal comments and is potentially sort of undermining someone as a Mm. their personality mm. and them as a human so yeah it's been very Making personal judgments out of nowhere yeah it, it's giving it an almost shall I say a scientific foundation um and this is where this kind of tool can be great to enable everyone to sing from the same song sheet so you've got a framework that you're using together um a language that you can share together as well so yeah this is one of the powerful uses of the tools um i mean when considering uh, someone at risk at potential course withdrawal obviously you do need to look at a range of factors which i know you're doing such as the the relationships supportive relationships the trainee has um and so there's other factors involved but at least with something like the cpsq you're opening up that conversation with people and you'd be hoping the training tutors can work together about discussing triggers discussing what can undermine a trainee's confidence what has happened to them in the past maybe enough careers I know a lot of your trainee trainees have had this is their second or even a third career um, in previous careers they may have become quite senior or very experienced and there can be an expectation on their side I know we've had these conversations of walking into teaching and just being a fabulous teacher from day one and that's unreal that is unrealistic and someone needs to I'm using psychology speaking challenge those irrational beliefs I'm using a bit of cognitive behavioral therapy there to say no that it it's unlikely and where's this belief come from um so yeah it gives gives a tool to to start with I think myself personally I don't know about um you Anna is the um Caring and compassion, because at first when we looked at this report and its healthcare backgrounds and we went, well, is this going to be relevant? And surprisingly, though it's not right now the best predictor, it's got a very, if you could see the stats and bar charts right now, you see it's a very suggestive that the more outstanding or stronger the trainee, the higher they score on this area. Um, and I wondered if you had any any thoughts on that. I think I mean that that finding is you know very much what you'd expect intuitively. Um, and I think it's possibly even more true of the primary trainees than the secondary trainees, because yeah, primary trainees, this is a gross generalization, obviously, but are very interested in the whole child and they will spend, you know, all day, every day in term time with those that group of 30 children. Whereas for secondary trainees, they are they care hugely about the children, but they see far more and lots of their focus is on their commitment to the subject they're teaching. Um, so it'll be interesting you know, to, to unpick that a little bit more as we get more information. But certainly, you know, you've, you know, teaching's a hard job, you know, now, now more than ever. And if you haven't got that moral purpose of wanting, you know, the best outcomes for the children that you're working with, um, it's an almost impossible job. So, so the caring and compassion is a hugely strong element in, you know, predicting effective teachers and teachers that'll stick in the profession because that, you know, those, qualities will will keep them going when things are challenging and difficult for them 
Yeah. Um, I mean, I mentioned, I mean, it is just a hypothesis about almost like a, a, a career profile for teaching. I don't want to go too far down that road because I think many different types of personality person can can make a good teacher. But there may be something certainly about in, in healthcare, it's like caring that some that someone gets better, um, caring about their health. But teachers, for me, it seems to be about caring that someone develops as a person caring that they learn and if you've got that care for other people that's making you a, a close match but I, I i i have a question and this is a sort of covid question and you're mentioning that you're adapting um a lot of what i mean the government is asking you to adapt a lot with what you're doing getting an online program together what other kind of online tools or, or training are you using most of what we're doing, we've we've had our own trainers altering the material that they would normally deliver in order to be able to deliver their training online. So they've adapted how they operate. And obviously how you teach, you they would normally do a full day's face-to-face training. Well, you can't do a full day's training via Zoom. It's it's just not workable for, for the, the tutor or the trainees. So there's a whole different um, way of working and teaching online which we're having to learn and obviously we're expecting what well, we, we think our trainees will be having to do a certain amount of online teaching next year um, as you know that the situation in schools remains disrupted and that's not anything we've ever taught them to do before because it's not anything that, that's ever happened so as, as well as just our own people doing courses we're looking at um, other tools that could help us. Um, one of the big concerns is that schools may not want visitors, so our tutors going into school to observe trainees teaching next year, because if our tutors are, they're a tutor for five or six trainees, that means within a week they could be going into five or six different schools and potentially, you know, could be real vectors of spreading the virus. So we're exploring other options for how we can maybe video the trainees teaching and have that uploaded to a central portal so we can you know so they can have the feedback from their tutors and in some ways that could be a real strength and would be something we'd retain because again it's not it's not someone's subjective view of what happened in a lesson if if the tutor and the trainee can see a video and see what the the trainee did then it's you're looking at the same thing um but obviously you know there are big safeguarding concerns around filming things in school so it's you know it, it's not a straightforward process but that's very much something um that we're looking at developing because i think that will be necessary for this year but will probably be a huge benefit going forward you know as we develop quality teaching yeah i think the techniques that you've discussed show that you've really had to adapt but even with kind of adapting so well do you think there's going to be a future impact on trainees yeah, very much so. I, th- I think the whole level of uncertainty in the world and the anxieties that are around it is making people behave and respond quite differently to how they might usually do that. So that's a kind of underlying background. Um, but we know from September, the government advice is that children are going to be have to sit in classrooms in rows facing the front and the adults are meant to you know, keep two metres away from them if they can. That is massively going to reduce the range of strategies open to teachers, you know, in terms of group work and discussion and coming around and looking at children's work and giving them feedback in the moment. So 
you know, we've got to make trainees aware that we need to train them for how things will be hopefully post-COVID while also equipping them to deal with that sort of more traditional model of, of facing the front teaching. Um, I think I mentioned earlier, we're going to need to train them so that they can teach effectively online. And also, you know, it, it seems very likely that some schools are going to narrow their curriculums, but certainly for the next couple of terms to try and catch up children with maths and English. And I think I can understand why that's being thought about, but, you know, it, it will reduce the range of opportunities that trainees get. And, and more importantly, it'll reduce the, the interest and the range of opportunities for children and their learning, because very often some of the subjects that might be squeezed a bit can be the things that keep children motivated, engaged and keen to come to school. And that knock on could have you know, quite, quite big implications for the atmosphere in schools. So it's, it, it's a very uncertain world. All we know is that on, on the evidence of how well we've adapted and how positively it's been seen so far, we can be confident that whatever happens next, you know, we've got the team within our skit to adapt and, and help those trainees be the best teachers they can be. And I think that kind of moves on quite nicely to the next bit, which is, are there any changes to your working practices that you're likely to take forward post COVID-19? So anything that you'll continue to use? I think so. I mean, it, nothing can replace the face-to-face -face interaction of, of a teacher in a classroom and of the trainees together supporting each other and sharing their experience and the face-to-face -face contact that the tutors and trainers have. But some of the quality of the online stuff we've done means that that will be there as an enhancement. There'll be lots of material that trainees can refer to in their own time if they've got you know, a particular issue with a particular class or a particular subject area, they'll have that as self-study material that they wouldn't have done before. And so those sorts of things will be really useful. And because we've saved a lot of time because we're not driving around these two big counties of ours with slightly dubious road systems, it does mean that there is more time to do things. And, you know, there'll be some conversations you always want to have face to face. But now everyone's very comfortable in a Zoom or Teams world, you know, it makes more frequent contact between tutors and trainees quite viable. And for lots of conversations, it's absolutely appropriate and fine. So it may enable us to, to increase the amount of support directly we can offer trainees. So they've, you know, there'll be some positives going forward, despite, despite the huge challenges it's created for everyone. Yeah, definitely. And Lynn, did you want to add anything there? Not adding there, but going back a little bit, I don't know if we we covered how can do you think CPSQ can help you match, so to speak, um, tutors with trainees? Yeah, very much so. We know that we've got tutors who are more sympathetic and empathetic than others. Um, so if you've got a trainee who's potentially got that low coping with demands you want to put them with a tutor who we know you know has a lot of time maybe doesn't have that many trainees so has got the time to work with that trainee and help them develop equally if you've got trainees where you know the self-management is an issue but everything else is fine you know you can find a tutor who's better at actually reading the riot act and you know focusing on that side of things and, you know, as, as people change and situations change, we can change the tutors about, um, but it's nice to retain them 
throughout the year if we can, because that relationship and trust that builds up is very, very important. I know we, we, I mean, in previous conversations, we've talked about using CPSQ as an early warning alarm system and that, you know, there's tutor matching. But um, I know you've mentioned to me before the certain periods during the year where, where the trainees are evaluated. Um, have you considered or have you used CPSQ as a sort of trigger? We've got someone here who's a bit low on coping who may have certain self-doubts about their abilities oh let's get that phone call in or now it would be a Skype or a Teams call and find out how they're feeling their reaction to the say test results or evaluation you know just checking out their well-being yeah I mean definitely all the way through and the way we've used CPSQ this time because before it was part of part of the research the formal research so the information was used slightly differently, but the trainees are being, you know, asked to share their CPSQ data with their tutors. The tutors know what that means. So we can be very, very proactive about, you know, keeping in touch and at those pressure points, yeah. knowing yeah. what's going on and having flagged the trainees who may, you know, respond um, or may find it very difficult. You know, if they're not doing as well as they would have hoped to do. So it does enable us to be proactive and tailor interventions. Um, but even talk to the trainees you know, beforehand and say, to, I think I touched on it earlier, you know, if, if we know a trainee's got a low coping with demands score, saying to them, you know, what we know from people who've got this kind of profile, who've done the course in the past, is that these things might be issues for you. Um, and th you might find these harder and get them to think about some things they can do, some some strategies they can develop for themselves, you know, in, in tandem with us to kind of preempt things for themselves and that greater self-knowledge and self-awareness that they develop through doing the CPSQ, you know, again, just, just by being aware of things that possibly they, they weren't before can be protective in itself. Thank you so much for sharing your experiences and providing us insight on how teacher training programmes are adapting during COVID-19. I just wanted to mention here that if anyone's interested in learning more about how the Suffolk and Norfolk skit are using CPSQ, you can read our case study on the Cambridge Assessment Admissions Testing website. Thank you very much, everyone. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Cambridge Assessment Podcast. You can find more of our podcasts on our website. Just search Podcast Gallery or you can find us on YouTube, Spotify or Apple Podcasts.